Hello and welcome, Frontline Fundamentals, from my bookshelf to yours. My name is David McPeak. Glad you were here today. We're going to be talking about the success principles with Jack Canfield. And I hope that you have read that book. I also hope that you have read Incident Prevention Magazine. Of course, what we're talking about today is, is based on an article that I wrote in that magazine. And I'll start by saying this, one of my absolute favorite books, The Success Principles, to the extent I read it, learned a little bit about it, uh, read it again because I really liked it, and actually went as far as to become a certified trainer in The Success Principles. And so if you haven't checked the book out, I encourage you to do so. Obviously, today we will not get through the entire book. We're going to hit some highlights that I think are, are very important and relevant to us. And so I want to jump right in. And as we're progressing through this series of Frontline Fundamentals, uh, from my bookshelf to yours, of course, there's my book, Frontline Leadership, The Hurdles. We talked about the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey. We talked about Jocko and Leaf, uh, Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. Great book there. Today, again, we're talking about the success principles. As we go through this today, I really want you to think about some common themes in terms of both leadership and organizational effectiveness and safety that all these books and pretty much any book or anything you will learn about leadership and culture have in common and some themes that are being there. These are obviously, <laughs> minus my book, huge bestsellers, very popular. And there's a reason for that. And they all have very similar themes. And there's a reason for that as well. And so look for those and, and really think more importantly than anything, how do you take the things that we're saying today, how do you take the words out of those books and apply them into your lives and jobs? Most importantly, how do you apply them on your team? And in saying that, I'll introduce you to the success principles. And I, I want to read straight from Jack's words in the introduction to the book. It says this. And I couldn't agree with it more. This is not a book of good ideas. This is a book of timeless principles used by successful men and women throughout history. And some of these, all these that we're going to talk about today, for sure, I think are timeless principles. Uh, there's 64 total in the book, divided into six categories, all having to do with success, obviously. The fundamentals of success, a lot of what we'll focus on today. And I like the order of these. So you understand the fundamentals of success, transform yourself for success, build your success team, create successful relationships. How often do we talk about relationships? How important are they? Relationships and culture. Success and money and success starts now. Again, we'll focus mostly on the fundamentals of success and specifically principle number one. And it may be one of the most powerful and insightful things that I have ever learned and read about in my life. Um, and it's principle number one in the book, take 100% responsibility for your life. 
Now, I like to add to that, take 100% responsibility for your life and safety. And nothing to do with anything Jack said in the book, but it's something worth mentioning as we think about take 100% responsibility for your safety. Too often in today's world, I really feel like we have gotten so in tune with be your brother's, be your sister's keeper, and protective equipment and technology has gotten so good. We've started over-relying on other people and other things to keep us safe, and we forget to do it ourselves. And so as, you, as I explain this principle, I hope you'll think about very specifically how it applies to safety. It works in a lot of other situations as well. And the principle basically gives you an equation. E plus R equals O. E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. And basically what that says is you don't always have control over the events in your life. And we'll walk through some examples of this as we go along. But in our decision-making, in our leadership, in our interactions with others, if we think about what we want the outcome of that to be, then if we clearly define that outcome through our responses, we influence the outcome and, and to a certain extent, maybe help us control the event. So uh, a real popular one um, in the world of safety is somebody gets hurt. An incident has happened. That is an event. Now, a couple of ways we could respond to that. And a lot of times we do this, I, I think, either intentionally or unintentionally without really thinking about what do I want the outcome to be? If I really think about an incident has happened, what do I want the outcome to be? I want to understand first what happened. And second, from the lessons learned from the incident, how can we prevent recurrence? And if I define that as my outcome, that definitely influences how I will respond. In the absence of that, though, you see, eliminate blaming, complaining, excuses, A, B, C, D, E. That stands for accuse, blame, complain, with D, there's two of them, defend and deny, excuses. Say that again, A, B, C, D, E. Accuse, blame, complain, defend, deny, make excuses. So how often in terms of either what we do to other people or what we do ourselves after an incident has happened, does it center a whole lot around those ABCDE words and not so much around learning lessons, um, other thing. Now, you know, it, it works equally as well. So I've seen somebody doing something right. What do I want the outcome to be? If they're doing something right, I hope they'll do it again and they'll understand why it's right, which means my response should probably, probably be to tell them that it's right, how it's benefiting them, how it's benefiting the team to do it again. And so very common in my household, outside of safety, take 100% responsibility for your life. If there's any kind of debate or discussion going on or if anything's starting to get a little heated or whatever else, my wife and I might say to each other, and we do this quite often, hey, what's your O right now? That's such a good question to ask. What is your O? What do you want the outcome of this situation to be? And in terms of how we tend to lead and manage safety, far too often that is, I'm looking for somebody to blame. 
I want to make an excuse. I want to complain about somebody else. What I, what either they've done or haven't done or what they have that I don't have or whatever else it may be. So this is such a good concept. And I, a lot of you are probably familiar with the self-checking tool in the world of human performance, STAR, Stop, Think, Act, Review. And I really like to combine those two tools. And so you, right before you're getting ready to do a task or anything, you stop. And I really think that this, or pause, I like to say better than stop, but regardless. And then in the thinking stage of that self-check is where I really like to apply this E plus R equals O event plus response equals outcome and help me think about what's the task? Am I trained? Am I prepared? Do I understand what do I want the outcome to be? How can I make sure that's what happens and that's all that's happened and that's all that will happen? Maintain positive control kind of thing. And if you do that, then you determine what your response is, which becomes then the act of start, stop, think, act. And then we review because one outcome in this equation that we're, we're talking about becomes another event. And so we review thinking about what could, what did we do well? What could we do better? And then in, in terms of the self-check and the star, I like to add an S to the end of it, make it star, stop, think, act, review. In that review, we're learning some lessons. If we're learning lessons, share. So Jack's entire book, The Success Principles, is centered around this. This is the starting point. Take 100% responsibility. And then I love in that chapter, uh, there's a couple of subheadings in that chapter. Um, and I just want to read a couple of them to you because I think they're all, and Jack does a good job of explaining all this, but 100% responsibility for everything. Okay, we get that. We talked about that. Sounds good. Then it, then it becomes challenging when we think about you have to give up all of your excuses. And this is one of those things that might be fun and a good exercise. It won't be fun, but it'd be a good exercise. Just keep a little, either mentally or, or actually on paper, on maybe the left-hand side of that paper, right? you know, maybe desired outcome or, or whatever you want to put there. And then on the right-hand side, ABCD. And look at how often you're accusing, blaming, complaining, defending, denying, making excuses, all those words, and, and, and keep a little tally. But you have to give up all your excuses. And then this is absolutely brilliant. Right. If you don't like your outcomes, change your responses. Let me read that again. If you don't like your outcomes, change your responses. Along with that, everything you experience today is the result of choices you have made in the past. And I'd, I'd actually like to know, for those of you listening right now, do you agree or disagree with that? And why, if you want to talk about the why, but everything you experience today, all your outcomes, in other words, are the result of choices you have made in the past. And along with those, if you keep on doing what you've always done, you'll keep on getting what you've always got. A lot of wisdom in that statement. 
Um, it, it reminds me of uh, the quote, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. The, the desire to have continuous improvement, really important. You have to give up blaming. You have to give up complaining. And then this one, I've, I've thought a lot about this one. And we could probably debate it in terms of life. But in terms of safety, I really think we have to accept that this is true. And the statement is this. You either create or allow everything that happens to you. Now, that could be a very good or that could be a very bad statement. You either create or you allow everything that happens to you. If we apply that to safety, and we're talking about taking 100% responsibility, that's really good news. That means that we have 100% control over our safety. You either create or allow everything that happens to you. And I'm sure in the back of your mind right now, you're maybe coming up with, with some examples. You're driving, somebody rear-ends you, that sort of thing. Um, and some of those thoughts are valid, but... I would really challenge you to, to think about, you know, where do most injuries, where, where do most safety issues happen? And were they within 100% of our control? Was there something we could have done different? You know, that, that concept, I will say, all, all incidents are preventable. People like to debate that a lot. All accidents, all injuries are preventable. All incidents are preventable. I say that if that were a multiple choice question on a test, that the answer would be sometimes true if you just make that statement. But you can add to that and say all incidents, all accidents, all injuries are 100% preventable by someone at some time at some cost. That is a true statement. The cost may be in terms of actual money and opportunity, meaning in the vehicle a collision. Um, it's actually very easy to never be involved in a vehicle collision. You just never get on the road either as a passenger or the driver, and you won't be in it. For most, that is an opportunity cost that is probably too high. And so, but I think at work on our job sites, we have to have that mindset. I can control my safety. I can control because here's the thing. Safety is about really two things. Number one, identifying hazards. Number two, control. And you have to believe that you can control hazards. And if you believe that, then we can accomplish safety. So take 100% responsibility for your life. And then the last subsection of this chapter and this principle is titled this, and, and, and we'll talk more about this when we talk about feedback in a, in a little bit, but this is really, really, really important. Pay attention. Your results don't lie. Pay attention, your results don't lie. And specific to safety, um, somebody told me one time, and it's a brilliant statement, we don't manage the numbers by the business. Excuse me, we don't manage the business by the numbers. But the numbers tell us how we're managing the business. That person was talking about lagging indicators like OSHA rates and whatnot. Um, and I think that they are a very good indicator of where you are. It, it's sometimes... It's not funny and I don't really know what the right adjective I'm looking for is, but to have a conversation with somebody that wants to talk about 
in an organization how great the leadership is and how great the culture is and what a wonderful focus they put on safety and all these sort of things. And then you look at those lagging indicators that we're talking about and they're horrible. Pay attention. Your results don't lie. Um, uh, I trained one time, uh, well, more than one time, but uh, started. I decided I want to start doing some 5K races. And then I thought about saying the word runs. And really, I'll be honest and say the word jog. But, you know, that's a really good example is at the end of the day, pay attention, your results don't lie. You can train, eat, exercise, do all the things you can right. But that result, which in the, in the instance of a 5K, your time, uh, compared to your personal best or compared to others or whatever benchmark you're using is an indicator. And that tells you where you are compared to where you want to be. And a lot of times we like to rationalize and make excuses about those sort of things. So pay attention. Your, re your results don't lie. Really, really important concept. Um, in terms of leadership, the result that you're measured by is the performance of your team. In terms of safety, there's a lot of different results, both leading and lagging, that we could measure. Uh, and so look for results. And, and we'll talk more about feedback. And that leads us to principle five. Believe in yourself. And I'm going to add to that, believe in your team. Trust but verify. I'll explain that in a minute. But so... Give up limiting beliefs. What are some limiting beliefs that we have about, for instance, maybe safety, our ability to work safe? What are some limiting beliefs that we have about our leadership, especially in an environment in an industry where it's pretty common practice for me to be part of a crew one day and then be promoted to a leadership position, and all of a sudden the folks that were my peers and best friends are now working for me? that can create a lot of limiting beliefs about my ability to lead that group. So, and you, you can't just, I mean, I know it's hard to give those up, but it relates to principle 15, fear, F-E-A-R, fantasized experiences appearing real is how Jack explains it in the book. And I kind of love that concept because there are decidedly things that we are afraid of and should be afraid of and are very valid fears. And in terms of safety, though, and thinking about hazards, I really like to say that we should replace the word fear with respect. And the reason for that is if we truly believe E plus R equals O that we can control those hazards, then we have no reason to fear but if we don't control those hazards, then yeah, they could absolutely hurt us. And um, there you go. But how many of our fears are maybe fantasized experiences appearing real? And it's things that we think may happen or consequences we think we may get. Really good example, near miss and near hit reporting. Most people in most organizations I talk to really want that to happen. And it either doesn't happen at all or doesn't happen much. Why? I think this has a lot to do with it. It's that fear of if I voluntarily report something, I am going to get in trouble for it. 
sometimes again, I will acknowledge that may be true and may be valid. Most of the time I find that is not true, not valid. And there probably will be no negative consequence for reporting something in the form of punishment, but because folks think that it is perceptions, reality sort of thing. And it's actually very encouraging. A lot of organizations have moved away from that and they then started to get reports near miss near hit reports. And then it became, well, now we're reporting these things. Nobody's following up on them. So therefore it's a waste of time. At least for the first part of that, there, there's two lessons there. If you want to increase near miss near hit reporting, number one, take 100% responsibility, do it yourself. Number two is if you're on the other side of that equation and folks receiving near miss, near hits, those sort of things, it's important to make it safe. Uh, we had an IP conference not too long ago and there were um, quite a few presentations that talked about the concept of psychological safety. And I didn't realize I knew what psychological safety was because I'd really never been exposed to that term before, but essentially that's what it is. Make it safe for people to do the things you want them to do. And that's really important. And if you do that, you will increase near miss, near hit reporting. And when we're talking about fear, we've got to talk about the word failure to fear of failure. And we have to separate failure into two categories. The first category is Failures that can't happen. Failures that can't happen are really one of two things. Something that if it fails could hurt somebody or something. We don't want that to happen. We don't want to damage people or property. And then the second one is operational things that you should be good at, the job you're assigned to do. But outside of those two things, failure can be a valuable, valuable teacher And what do we learn best from? Our experiences, right? So don't let the fear of failure hold you back. And back to some of those limiting beliefs. And there's been some very fascinating studies done on this um, with teachers and students in school. And I see it happen a lot when you've got organizational turnover and a, a new leader coming into a group. There's certainly positives and negatives both ways, but in a lot of ways, if if I'm on a team and the leadership above me is going to change, I almost wish that there was no turnover there. And what I mean by that is for the person that used to be my boss to talk to the person that's now going to be my boss, because in that conversation, they're going to tell them their opinion about me, which is going to influence what they think about me in a lot of cases before they've even met me. I would rather than form their own opinion. Um, But uh, along those lines, the belief in your team and attitudes we have about other people. I was standing in the hallway talking to an instructor one day, and some of you may have heard me tell this story before, but it, it was a really horrible example of this concept of the opposite of this concept of believe in yourself, believe in your team as a crane certification prep course kind of thing. And part of crane certification, of course, is a written exam. And part of that written exam is to do a little bit of math and uh, background. So 
the instructor literally right before he's getting ready to walk in the room looks over at me and, and then he looks in the room at who's in there and he said, well, none of these people are ever going to pass. They're all too stupid to do the math. I mean, what a horrible attitude and a horrible thing to say. And, you know, more importantly than the trainer's attitude was how was that attitude going to impact the people in that classroom? Now, all I'll tell you about that story is everybody in the room passed. So he was wrong, and I won't even go into the other details about that. But when we teach C5 leadership as part of the frontline program and a lot of the training that we do, those, those words are competence, commitment, caring, courage, and credibility. The top word there, competence. The more competent we are at something, the more courage we're going to have, first of all, in C5 terms. But the more confident we are, the more we're able to believe in ourselves. And that's probably going to lead to action. And us, I don't want to say taking chances in a safety leadership kind of presentation, but us trying new things, us not so much fearing failure, us believing that we can have a conversation with a difficult person, us believing that we can provide negative feedback to somebody, us believing in our ability to succeed, us believing in our team. And so certainly for critical tasks, that belief needs to be based on observations and evaluations and training, absolutely for sure. But believe in yourself, believe in your team. Remembering what we talked about from the first principle that along the lines of failure, if you keep on doing what you've always done, you'll keep on getting what you've always got. And you either create or allow everything that happens to you. And that can be a very good thing in terms of if you really believe in yourself and think about the fact that you create or allow everything that happens, you can make great things and allow great things to happen to you. Give up those limiting beliefs. And then principle 19, I, I, I always just like every time I, I read the book and I flip from principle 19 to 20 to 21 to 22, from one to two to three, whatever. Uh, it's like, I want to start by saying this is my favorite principle, but you can't have 64 favorite principles in a book. And I will say, if you read the book, if I'm being 100% honest of the 64 principles, I think 60 of them are or right around 60 of them are probably spot on. There's three or four of them that I don't, I agree with in principle, but I question, I promise if you read this book and if you think about the things that we're talking about today, it will add value and you will learn lessons from it and, and uh, tips to success. As we talked about in the introduction, these are proven principles used by successful men and women throughout history. So, but feedback, feedback. I love the concept that nothing makes me happier than feedback and Good, bad, right, wrong, it doesn't matter. Use feedback to your advantage. Now, there's two kinds of feedback, negative and positive, and there are sources of feedback. Pay attention, your results don't lie. So in terms of feedback, you can get feedback from other people. You can get feedback a little bit from yourself, right? So when you've done something, only you really know whether you have done your best at it. But, you know, we always tend to judge ourselves more on our intentions than our actions, and other people can't see our intentions, so they look at our actions. Um, so feedback from other people, seeking 
feedback. Results, very simple example of that is, and it kind of ties into, I mentioned as a result, like if I'm running a race, my time is a result. If I'm talking about safety, our incident rates are a result. OSHA citations we've got are a result. Other things, we always focus on the bad, like the, the, the number of people we've got happy and healthy and safe is a result. Good behaviors, desired behaviors and attitudes and observations is a result. Training completion is a result. So look at results. Understanding, always remember when we talk about results in the world of human performance, performance equals behavior plus results. So you have to incorporate the behavior remembering good behavior doesn't always lead to good results and bad behavior doesn't always lead to bad results, but results don't lie. System responses. If I walk over to the wall right now and I flip a light switch and there's two switches on the wall and I want this light to come on and not this light. If this light's the one that comes on, I know I flipped the wrong switch. I can use that feedback to my advantage. And the next time I want that light to come on, I know which switch it is. That is why it's so important. Like when we were talking about self-check and we said add an S for share, that as we learn lessons that we don't selfishly keep them to ourselves, share them with other people. So as you're getting feedback and how good are we at this? We are really, really good at this. So especially when it's negative, feedback. positive feedback. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I did a good job. I appreciate you saying it. But now if somebody wants to give us negative feedback, then what do we do? Cave in, quit. Too hard. Getting mad at the source. So now, you know, the don't shoot the messenger kind of thing. Deflecting. Rather than me accepting responsibility, what do I do? I blame somebody else. And, you know, I, I almost bet every last one of us has done this at some point in time in our life, especially if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket. So, your speed, you are going over the speed limit. Principle one, take 100% responsibility for your life. The police officer, the cop, state trooper, whoever it is, pulls you over and writes you a ticket. And the whole time you're just mad sitting there fuming because you got pulled over and another car passed you and they were going faster than you were. So we want to deflect to that other person and say, boy, you write me a ticket for. They were going faster than I am. And in doing that, we're, we're, we don't acknowledge the fact, yeah, okay, I, I was speed as well. I actually do deserve this thing. Or ignoring the feedback. Now, I want to point out that I really do believe all feedback is good. And by that, I mean in the sense that somebody is comfortable enough in the culture we have and the relationships that we've developed to give me feedback, that to me is valuable. So all feedback is value. That doesn't mean all feedback is accurate. But what you can't do is choose based on what you will, the feedback that you're going to listen to. I always say, if you've got a group of feedback, throw out the very best thing somebody said, and the very worst thing somebody said, somewhere in the middle is probably an accurate picture of where you are. Um, um, this week, there is a, uh, the, the, BCSP, Bureau of Certified Safety Professionals, is putting on a, a global learning summit. And it's really interesting to me, both as a presenter and attendee of some of the sessions in that conference, 
to look at the feedback and what one person says and takes as a positive, another person takes as a negative. And I was literally about two hours ago in a session and I loved it because the person wasn't using a PowerPoint, but it was all sorts of stuff in, in the chat window and in the feedback of, Hey, I love this. Tired of looking at PowerPoints all the time. And then there was a whole, probably an equal amount of folks saying, Hey, I really need some kind of vision. Where's your PowerPoint? Can you send, can you send me a PowerPoint after the presentation? None of those people are right or wrong. That's kind of an opinion sort of thing. That's why you have to couple people's feedback with results and system responses to get an accurate representation. And in the book, Jack describes, and if you ever get a chance to watch any of the videos uh, associated with his training, um, I got to see him as I went through that certification process to become uh, a Canfield certified trainer. But it is so good, and it makes such a good point. Uh, a little off-track, on-track demonstration that Jack does. And the way he does it, and I've always wanted to do this, but I'm scared to death to try it because I'm afraid I would hurt somebody during a safety presentation. And if you hurt somebody during a safety presentation, you want to talk about a quick way to lose credibility. Um, so, but what he does is blindfold somebody and put them on one side of the room and gives them a goal of getting to the other side of the room, basically without getting lost. And he instructs them to walk in a little bit of a zigzag kind of pattern. And what they say, it, or, or the way he explains it and demonstrates it is, so the, I'm trying to get across the room and I start out and I'm going straight. And all, the, only, the only instruction is the only things you can say is off track or on track, off track, on track. And so the way that works then is if I deviate from my course, off track, off track, off track, off track, off track, on track. And when I get back on track, on track, on track. And if I start deviating again, off track, off track, off track, on track. The interesting thing about that, the blindfolded person with no feedback other than literally the words off track or on track, every single time gets to the other side of the room if two things happen. Number one, the feedback is correct. In other words, when I tell you you're off track, you're actually off track. And when I tell you you're on track, you're on track. That's the first part of it. The feedback from me to you has to be good. And then the second thing is, if you're the person walking across the room blindfolded, you have to listen to it. It doesn't do me much good if you're going off track and I say off track and you just decide that's the way you want to go and you keep going that way, you're going to stay off track. But if those two things happen, the feedback is valid and accurate and you listen to it, every single time. And the thing I love about that is even if you're off track, most of the time you get to the destination. In other words, you succeed. If feedback is good, that's the power of feedback. And I love that demonstration. Now, Jack in one of the videos that I watched did a really, really good job of being the person with the blindfold on and getting the feedback. And what it looked like was, Hey Jack, you're off track. And he just takes the blindfold off and throws it down on the ground. He's like, this is just too hard. I can't do it anymore. And so he quits. And then puts the blindfold back on and starts the whole process. And as soon as I say, Jack, you're off track, then he turns. And now he's mad at me. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm not listening to you. Getting mad at the source. Deflecting. 
Then, then we put the blindfold on again. Off track, off track. Hey, why are you telling me I'm off track? The person that went before me was way off track, and I'm just a little bit off track. You should go talk. I'm better than they are. Go talk to them. Or like I said, just for whatever reason, to, choosing to ignore the feedback. So really think about how you can use feedback to your advantage. Now, the key to that is you can't use feedback to your advantage if you don't get feedback. And you're not going to get the title of my book, Frontline Leadership, The Hurdle. And the whole concept behind that is it's very difficult giving or receiving feedback is a hurdle. From a standing position, that is a very difficult thing to do. The run-up to the hurdle, any of the hurdles that we talk about in terms of leadership, are creating culture and developing relationships. If you've done a good job of that, people will give you feedback. And you will give other people feedback and you will value their feedback. There are people and there is, I mean, how valuable is it to have somebody? And, and there's a select group of people almost every single time, be it a magazine article I've written, uh, a class I've taught, session like this, whatever it may be. I, there are a group of people that, that I can say, please, number one, attend this if you can, but if you can't, watch a video recording, read the article, whatever it may be, and give me your feedback. And those people will always very honestly tell me what they like about it, what they don't like about it, how they think it could have been improved. And I try to do the same for them. And I really challenge you in terms of safety and in terms of the folks that you work with, their personal and professional development. Don't limit feedback just to being like vague stuff like good job or do better or stay safe or, or whatever. Nothing really wrong with any of that but give people specific things that they can work on and make sure they understand what you liked and what went well, along with any suggestions you have about how it could have been better. And uh, another thing in this chapter that Jack does an extremely good job of, in my opinion, is this. And, and this is, I think, a great tool for us to use. And essentially it's after you've done anything, basically just ask the question, on a scale of one to 10, how did I do? And then the people are going to give you a number. Hopefully it's a high number. Maybe it's a low number, whatever number it is. And then the second follow-up question of that is, okay, well, if it's an eight, if it's a seven, if it's a six, doesn't matter what the number is, what could I have done to make it a 10? And think about like a job briefing. And, and I'm a big fan of post-job briefings. And I think maybe part of every post, I don't think maybe, I think for sure, part of every post-job briefing should be some form of this question. Yesterday's job briefing. On a scale of one to 10, how was it? Six. Okay, well, it's a six. What could we have done to make it a 10? And then as folks present whatever solutions they have to making it a 10, make sure we're not that A, B, C, D, E that we're, we're listing their feedback and then start incorporating some of those things in there. Training session, scale of one to 10, how did I do? The job we did today, the work we did, scale of one to 10, how was it? Our productivity for today, scale of one to 10. How was it? Why not? What could we have done to make it a 10? Very powerful question. And it shows that you're not only interested in somebody's feedback, but tells them also you value their opinion and want their thoughts about how you could improve things. So use feedback to your advantage. Those three principles take 100% responsibility for your life. Believe in yourself and your team. And use feedback to your advantage. I absolutely love them. If you want to learn more about them, 
certainly please read my article in IP Magazine if you haven't already, but better yet, uh, check the book out, The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. It's just a great book, super easy read because it's the principles for sure build on each other, but each one of them in each chapter is an excellent standalone. And then as you start to relate to them, great stuff in there about teamwork and other things. And, and that leads me to a thought. And I started with this, but specifically really the three books on the right is what I'm talking about right now, because these are people that's hard to argue with. They're, they're all of them are New York times bestsellers, highly reputable books. I know a lot of people and organizations that use some of these books for leadership training and for small group study kind of things. The seven habits of highly effective people in that book, chapter one, be proactive. It talks about your circle of concern and your circle of influence. And what is, what is, what does Stephen Covey say in there? Basically don't make excuses. And what did we just talk about that Jack says extreme ownership. And so as you think about safety, as you think about leadership and combine those two thinking about safety leadership, what's important, what should we focus on? And a couple of words that come to mind are the title of one of the books, Ownership, for sure. Responsibility, and in Covey's book, he does a great job of taking responsibility and rewriting it a little bit and making it response-ability. And the way he explains that is the gap between the stimulus and the response, you have the ability to think about. Now, tie that in, E plus R equals O. So there's a gap between stimulus and response. In other words, there's a gap between the event and the outcome. Our response. Teamwork throughout all of them, the importance of it. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, really, we define the whole entire run up to all the leadership hurdles somewhere in terms of developing relationships and creating culture. All these books talk a lot about how to develop relationships, how to develop culture. And I think that is an extremely, extremely important thing that we need to think about, or all those are extremely important words and concepts that we need to think about. Um, as the next edition of IP Magazine rolls out, we'll be focusing on a book called Itch Your Ship by Michael Abershaw. And we're gonna add to this list of words that I just said that, one word about that book, understanding. Understanding yourself, understanding others, understanding situations. I really can't wait for to just to go even read through that book again as, as I think about that. And in our next session together, we will be talking about that as well. So thank you for being here today. Before we go, I want to do what we just talked about. Use feedback to your advantage. This is going to require a little interaction. On a scale of one to 10, on a scale of one to 10, how has this webinar been so far? By the way, thank you, Stacy. She just put a link into the um, next webinar, which is, I'm not even going to pretend I know the date. I'm going to guess and say July 17th. How close was I, Stacy? How about July 13th? <laughs> well, I was four days off. Very close. <laughs> so I will use feedback to my advantage there and show up on the 13th instead of the 17th, and I'll be there. But... I'm asking everybody now, 
and um, I'm going to give you the ability to unmute yourselves. It's a relatively small group today. I like small groups because we can talk. And or you can type it in the chat window. But scale of one to ten, how's today's session been so far? I knew somebody was going to do that. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. So somebody, even if you just completely make it up right now so we can demonstrate something, type in something besides 10. Or since nobody else will, I'm going to put Stacy on the spot. Stacy, scale of one to 10, if you couldn't say 10, what number would you say? Oh, eight. Eight, I like it. Perfect. Now, what, what would have made it a 10 since it's an eight? Um, good question. <laughs> um, probably if we could have linked the article to people ahead of time, make sure they read it. There you go. See, that is a ridiculously fantastic and super simple thing to do. Like if this webinar is based on an article in IP Magazine. Wouldn't it be a really good idea for everybody, either during the session or ahead of the session, to have? Yeah, let them have it if they don't already. I like that. Um, now I'm going to put the link in the confirmation email like for them to look at the article. There you go. So that's good feedback. Um, how about somebody else? What else could we do to make this better? I love this series. Uh, thank you for that, Craig. And anybody that's got suggestions about books that, that you think we should cover or folks should read or whatever else, please send them to me. Um, I learned uh, Teams That Work. I've never heard of that book before this week. Somebody suggested it to me. I hadn't actually gotten it yet. But uh, I really learned, love learning different perspectives and things and sometimes um, – because it's a lot of stuff. But it's, it's really interesting to me to read – all these books by all these great authors and really smart people and to see the, the commonalities between them. Um, provide the books. There you go. That's not a bad idea. Um, expensive idea for a free. Now, there you go. So, and Manuel, I, I know we know each other and I'm just messing with you right now. So the, the getting mad at the source, deflecting or whatever else, you know, I, I could go on a big, huge, long rant right now about how this is a free webinar and a service we provide. Now you want us to buy you a book too. Come on, man. But that's actually a, a good idea or at least some Cliff Notes version of it or have more quotes in there. So thank you for that. Um, I'm trying to demonstrate a few principles here. Anybody else, any other thoughts? Good, bad, right, wrong, and or things that we could focus on in the future. All right, um, so we have established now July 13th, not the 17th. July 13th is the next one of these. There's the registration link. These are free. IP Magazine's free. If you don't get it, I think all of you do. Uh, subscribe to it. Um, oh, Ty, I know it's, it's when you do things like this for um, folks geographically all over the place, it's difficult to pick the right time. Um, is the, 
you know, what time would work better for you would be my next question. And then somebody on the East Coast would say, well, that doesn't work. I'm getting off work. Somebody, that conference I was at this week that I was talking about started at seven o'clock every morning, Eastern time. So for the West Coasters that were attending, whew, uh, that can be difficult. But uh, I really encourage you, if you find these things valuable, keep reading the articles, keep showing up, bring somebody. It's free. Um, uh, you know, and feel free, uh, help us market these and, and grow these. And, uh, so we can have discussions and network with each other. Uh, is everybody aware of the IPI forum that we are having this Friday? So just in case you're not, uh, monthly, usually the second Friday of each month, we have what's called the IPI forum. Okay. Okay. Not good that you don't know, but good that we're talking about it then. And that is a really, really cool place where we get uh, subject matter experts, so to speak, like the Jan Danny Rains, Jim Bones of the world that are sort of like a panel. And folks like yourselves can can literally all you do is like, it's a virtual round table. That's all it is. It's a virtual round table. And you can come in and ask questions and you can share responses with each other. And we do all sorts of poll questions about what sort of tool everybody's using for a task or whatever. It's a great learning and networking opportunity. And uh, I, I really, a couple of weeks ago at the IP conference, found out a lot of people don't know about it. And so I, I wanted to make sure that this group knew about it. It's this Friday at 11. You won't be eating lunch then. Might be eating breakfast, but uh, it's at 11 o'clock Eastern time. I said that real confidently. Stacy, is that a true statement? I'm 99% sure it's at 11 o'clock Eastern time. But she put a link in there, so you can click on that link, and I'm sure it will tell you. Um, Sorry, David. I didn't hear what you asked. I apologize. Does the uh, forum at 11 o'clock Eastern time? Uh, yes. And it is. You sound as sure as I do. Um, <laughs> this Friday, right? This Friday. Yep, perfect. So there's the link. Everybody register for that. And please, 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 that truly is one. The more the merrier there. So if you're checking it out for the first time, invite somebody. If you've been before and you think it's worthwhile, invite somebody. I love getting big groups in there because as we ask poll questions and things, we get more of a, a good representative sample for things. So um, thank you all for being here. Um, I look forward, hopefully, to seeing all of you Friday, if not before, and we'll talk again soon. Everybody stay safe and be well.